Hello, and welcome to the Fuel Run Recover podcast, helping everyday runners fuel better, run smarter, and recover faster so you can reach your full performance potential. I'm your host, Stephanie Natchek, dietitian, fitness coach, and a fellow runner too. As the owner of Stephanie Natchek Performance Nutrition, I've spent the last 10 years helping runners learn to fuel their bodies, level up their running performance, and establish healthier relationships with food and exercise. If you're ready to reconnect with your love of running, then let's get started on today's episode. Just like I talked about in the final episode of season one of the Fuel Run Recover podcast, we all need a little bit of an off season. And I am currently taking one right now before we kick off season two of the Fuel Run Recover podcast. I'm so excited for all of the great content interviews, guest experts, and tips and advice that I have got coming your way in 2024. But for now, I wanted to, you know, still still keep you entertained, still keep the content coming. And so what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks is you're going to be hearing some reshares or uh, reposts of some of the top episodes that we had from season one. So if you have been listening since the beginning, uh, when the Fuel Run Recover podcast launched way back in January of 2023, then of course, I want to say thank you so much for you coming and, uh, and hanging out with me for this entire past year. It's been so amazing to see the support and the positive feedback that I've gotten from this endeavor. If you're new to the podcast, then these are some episodes that you might have missed earlier on and maybe have not gotten a chance to go back and listen to. So I'm really excited for you to have the opportunity now to take some time to go back, listen to some of these episodes, or you know what, maybe even give them a re-listen. They were popular for a reason, and I think that there's a lot of really great gems in all of them. So please enjoy this repost of the Fuel Run Recover podcast, episode nine, why you need to run slow if you want to run fast. All right. So in today's episode, we are here to talk about why you need to run slow in order to run faster. And this is something that you maybe have heard, you know, out there on social media, maybe in other running podcasts. Uh, a lot of us here love to talk about slower running, easy pace running. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as even zone two running if you're using heart rate zones. And it's something that continues to come up. Um, I see it all the time in the different running communities, Facebook groups, and things like that that I'm on where newer runners don't know this right off the top. They they don't really understand the benefits of easy running. And there's always a little bit of a learning curve and some education that I think is so valuable when someone decides that they want to start taking up longer distances and especially improving at longer distances. And so I want to start by telling a little bit of a story just about my personal experience with easy running and sort of this idea of what we call polarization of our training. And that's something that you'll, again, another phrase that you'll hear out there in the training, coaching, kind of running world is this idea of needing to polarize our training. And so I'm going to share this story about my very first half marathon to make this point and sort of paint a picture for you. So when I got into running, I got into running because I had a different type of event, an obstacle course event that I wanted to do. And I realized that if I wanted to be able to run the distance of this obstacle course event, I was going to need 
need to have a good amount of cardio endurance. I was going to have to be able to cover the mileage of this course as well as, of course, the obstacles that were involved as well. And um, the distance of, of the course that I had in mind or, or the race that I had in mind was a little bit, you know, around about a half marathon distance. So I thought to myself, well, you know, if you want to be able to do this, you're going to have to be able to run at least a half marathon. So I did. So I signed up. It was probably about maybe five or six months out from the race when I signed up and I entered a local half marathon that we have here. And I started training for this half marathon. Now, this was many, many years ago. So at the time I was already a personal trainer, but I did not know anything about running. I did not know anything about running uh, strategy. I didn't know anything about training for running. So what I did is I decided what I wanted my goal race pace to be. And I think this is something that a lot of runners do. We decide how fast we want to be able to run this race, what we want that finish time to look like. And every Saturday for months, I set the pace on my treadmill and I ran at my goal pace for the distance for 13 miles. And I didn't start at 13 miles, but I, I did a 13 mile long run for many, many weeks. Now I got lucky that along the way I didn't get injured or anything like that. Of course, I was already a dietitian as well. So I knew a lot about nutrition and fueling and, and things like that along the way, which I think really helped. But Basically, what I did is I chose my goal pace and I practiced training at my goal pace and I ran my mileage at my goal pace. And to be fair, that first half marathon didn't go too badly, right? Like I ran fairly close to what my goal pace was, but it took me years to be able to break that PR. That did not translate into the next year that I ran the half marathon and the year after that and the year after that to getting faster. In fact, I had a long string of really disappointing slower races after that first one because for that first race that I ran, I had never trained before. So honestly, no matter what I did, I probably was going to do okay because I had absolutely zero skill or endurance to kind of build on. You know, I had never run distances like that before. I'd never done any kind of cardiovascular or endurance training before, but it took me a really, really long time to actually be able to get faster at my half marathon. And then when I did, when I implemented these strategies that I'm going to talk about today, when I, when I implemented the slower running and the polarization of my training, that's when I was able to shave a solid 10 minutes off of my PR. So, you know, a lot of us start out not really realizing what we need to do going into that training to become better with each race cycle that we go through and, and to kind of continue to build and progress as runners. And when I discovered the power and potential of easy running, that's when everything started to shift for me. And that's when everything changed for me. So easy running is often overlooked um, as part of becoming a faster, stronger runner because, you know, of course, running slow, running easy, if we're out with other people, you know, it can feel maybe a little bit embarrassing or if we're posting our results on our social media, on Strava, whatever, it doesn't look that impressive and stuff like that. And I think that's part of the problem that runners can get into is letting our ego maybe get in the way of things sometimes here. But also, when you really think about sport-specific training, it doesn't always make a lot of logical sense why we'd want to slow down and work on the easy running and, and make an effort to run slower if our ultimate goal is to get faster. 
because in most sports, a lot of time is spent on sport-specific training. So a lot of time in most sports is spent on doing exercises, drills, things that are meant to improve the very sport-specific skills that an athlete needs. And in running, it's a little bit different because part of the reason here is that there's just this unbelievably repetitive motion of running, right? The sheer volume of training that runners do to prepare for distance events and running for hours at a time, doing the exact same movement for hours and hours and hours, um, you know, so many hours per week is different than how people train and prepare for other types of sports, right? Whether it's like a team sport or, or something like that. So we do want to do some specific training with our running, and that's going to be faster running. Maybe we're doing drills, we're doing lactate threshold training or VO2 max training. Like there's a time and a place for that. But what we really want to do is enough training in terms of volume that we can improve, but we don't want to tip the scale on our volume or our intensity to a place where we can't adequately recover in between sessions. So as runners, as distance runners, we're always towing that line of how much volume and intensity can we do, can we handle to get the benefits and the adaptations without it spilling over into inadequate recovery and injury risk. And that's just part of the art of training, right? There's the science to running training and science becoming a better runner. But part of the art is being able to toe that line very well. So we're doing enough to get better, enough to make ourselves improve and get those adaptations, but not so much that we are increasing our injury risk. So that means that as runners, we could spend a little bit more time at running at goal race pace, right? That would still be considered aerobic training and we would still get benefits from doing those volumes of aerobic training. But the recovery time required and the um, intensity of doing more volume doesn't translate into better results than simply slowing down and actually running a little bit slower than goal pace. So it's not to say that, you know, running a marathon or a half marathon is not an aerobic event because it absolutely is, but there's just no added benefit to doing more training at that higher, that faster pace, right? We do that in a specific amount, in a specific sort of time during a race training cycle, we're going to incorporate some goal race pace runs, but it's not about doing as much volume as we possibly can in, in that marathon or half marathon pace zone in what we call that gray zone because we don't see the added benefit of doing that. And of course, we're increasing our injury risk and needing more recovery time along the way, such that our overall volume of training is where we might actually suffer. And that's basically what happened to me when it was taking me so long to improve my race times and I was really having a hard time getting faster. It wasn't until I slowed down that I was able to run a far bigger volume. I was able to do more mileage throughout the week because I was slowing down and I was running more days that then I was able to actually see my race times improve and, and quite significantly too, is really about spending more time at that slower pace, slower than what your goal race pace would be. And this contributes to more speed on race day or can help with better speed on race day for a number of different reasons. So what you'll see thrown around sometimes is uh, the 80-20 rule of training, where we're spending about 80% of our time in that easy zone. We can do that by minutes. We can do that by miles. We can even do that kind of by days per week, you know, however we want to break out that 80%. 
And then 20% of our weekly volume is to run at faster speeds. If you're newer to distance running, if you're a new runner overall, or if you are tackling a new distance for the first time, like maybe you've done some 5Ks, some 10Ks even, and you're looking to get into something longer, there's also nothing wrong with spending all of your time in that easy pace, right? If your goal for a race is to just finish the distance and you just want to complete the mileage that's in front of you, especially for something like your first half marathon or first marathon, then there's, I think, a lot of value in not putting too much pressure on yourself to do a lot of faster running because this is something that I've seen many times, but this example always really sticks out to me just because once we started getting digging a little bit, asking more questions about what she was doing, it was very clear to me how much she really needed to incorporate easy running. So, and she was getting on the treadmill and she was running for two miles And then she was just like totally kind of hitting the wall. Like she was just running out of steam, running out of gas. She just like couldn't do more than that. And no matter how many days per week she ran, she was trying to add in like more days. If I go like more often, I'll I'll kind of be able to break through this threshold of two miles. So I started digging a little bit, asking kind of more questions to say, you know, what's, what's happening during these workouts? Like what's going on? How fast are you running? Like, like, what are you trying to do with, with these workouts? And What I found out was that rather than sticking in her easy zone, Miranda was going to the gym and she was getting on the treadmill and then she was trying to run as fast as she could. So in her mind, if she increased her speed, she would be able to cover more ground before she got tired. So rather than thinking about the running as the way that our mind sort of thinks about a problem or the way we think we can solve a problem is quite different than than the reality. So what we needed to do was get her to slow down. And what I always love to hear after I have those conversations with runners is, wow, I can't believe how far I was able to run. I can't believe how easy it felt or, or how good it felt to run when I just slowed down. So yes, maybe you're still only going to run for two miles, but if now you can run for 25 minutes or 30 minutes, and then we can increase that, right? We're, we're increasing the time that we can spend running rather than worrying about the distance. The distance part and the speed part comes second to that. So why does it work? Like what, what is it about easy running that makes a difference or, or why do we incorporate and encourage easy running so much for people? The first big thing is that running slower helps to build our body's aerobic base. And we can kind of think about our aerobic base like our body's engine. So there are specific changes and adaptations and and things that are happening within our bodies, within our muscle cells, um, with our lungs and the way that our blood flows throughout our body, how much blood flow we have going to our muscles, all of these things that are contributing to our endurance capacity, which is this aerobic base. And so this is what sets us up to be able to run for longer at faster paces when we need to. If we have two runners and one runner spends a lot of time and puts a lot of effort into building their aerobic base before getting into a little bit more speed work and a little bit more, um, you know, kind of race specific types of workouts that we're doing more goal race pace or maybe more lactate threshold training. And then we have the other runner who doesn't really do a lot of work on building their aerobic base. Um, sometimes we'll even call this like a base building phase. They don't spend a lot of time there. When they also do those same speed workouts and, and they're incorporating more of the race specific work into their training program, 
they're not going to have the same ability or likely not going to have the same ability when race day actually rolls around. Because a lot of times, uh, especially if we're getting into marathon training for most people, we're not practicing running a marathon multiple times before we actually get to race day. So we have to do, you know, training on sort of opposite ends of that speed spectrum to then bring it together because something like running a marathon is incredibly taxing on our bodies, not only with the time, but with the recovery time and, and everything that goes into it. So to just practice that over and over and over again, isn't going to work, right? We need to have other ways that we can kind of mimic uh, what that's going to be like so that we can have uh, better race day experiences. So when we're doing the easy running, I mentioned some of the adaptations that happen. The first thing is that we get more of something called mitochondria within our body cells. Mitochondria are what we can think of as the power plants that are within all of our body cells. So that's where we generate the energy that our cells need to function. And so they're actually creating the substances that turn the food that we eat into energy. And this is how we can use energy, of course, from the fuel that we're putting in to improve our running performance. Having more of these mitochondria, having more of these little power plants inside of our cells mean more potential power output when we're actually on the move, when we're actually running. And then also easy running increases our body's capillary density. And so for anyone who doesn't know, capillaries are the little wee blood vessels that are delivering oxygen and nutrient-rich blood to all of our body's individual cells. So this means that we can get more oxygen and more energy to our muscle cells more quickly when we're developing our aerobic base, which then of course translates really well to performing at faster speeds because we have energy and oxygen right there available for us. And so if we really want to see improvements kind of year over year, and we want to think about our running journey as something that is going to be long-term, a lifelong love of running, a sustainable career as a runner, um, you know, of course, even for us recreational runners to be able to do this for a long time, it often means having a lot of patience, trusting the process with our training, and not wanting to rush into doing too much too soon, too much intensity too quickly, trying to aim for these really kind of lofty goals in our first couple of, of race training cycles, giving ourselves more time to build up these, um, these adaptations, build up these things like our aerobic base really translates in the long run to better performance rather than being a runner who maybe stays really stuck, not improving or a runner who stays really stuck um, in a constant cycle of injury. So we're not getting faster. We're not getting stronger. We're getting hurt all the time. So we can't be consistent with our training because we are trying to do too much intensity or too much volume at those faster paces. The other really cool thing about building our aerobic base and running easy, taking it slow, getting into that easy zone is that it also creates an adaptation where we're able to use more fat as a fuel source. And what's great about this is that then when we are doing longer distances, when we are running those half marathons, those marathons, maybe even getting into ultra distances, instead of hitting the wall, we actually can use more fat during those workouts, during those runs. And what we call that is sort of a carbohydrate sparing adaptation. And so by building our aerobic base, 
we are able to use more fat as fuel when we train. Even runners who don't have a lot of body fat, right? Even runners who are very lean still have thousands of calories at their disposal to use as a fuel source from body fat when they run. But if we're running all of our miles too quickly, we are forcing ourselves to need to use more carbohydrates to fuel those miles, which is still happening regardless. I mean, our our fat versus carb uh, fuel source is not a switch that we're just flipping. You know, here we're burning fat, here we're flipping a switch and burning carbs, right? It's more of a spectrum. But what it means is that we're able to run longer distances without hitting the wall, right? It's far easier to run longer distances when we can simultaneously be using carbohydrates as well as a little bit more body fat. And so when we're running at faster speeds, our overall reliance is and will always be on carbohydrates. Like we can't train our bodies to sort of fat adapt ourselves to never need carbohydrates as a runner. Like that's never going to be the case, but it's just that we can have a larger proportion of our running fueled by fat compared to a less trained runner, which means that over, you know, the course of many, many hours of running, we're less likely to hit the wall. So when we are training, when we are carb loading, when we're racing, we get this added benefit of not having to either bring as much fuel, right? We still want to be kind of aiming for that like 30 to 60 grams of carbs per hour but it means that we're going to be more set up to not hit the wall at the end of that event. Now, the other wonderful thing about easy running is that it really helps to prevent injuries and overtraining. These easier miles cause much less stress and strain on our bodies. And so it means that we can be more consistent with our training long-term. And so we can increase our mileage more comfortably. We can be more consistent with a higher overall volume of training rather than doing all of our miles at our absolute fastest pace, being super sore, super tired, getting injured, um, we end up burning out. And then we can't just continue to be as consistent, you know, on a year round basis with our running. And I see this a lot with some runners who, you know, go really, really hard in a race training cycle, right? When they've got an event coming up, they're just all out. Like they're doing so much volume, so much intensity. They're pushing themselves so hard. And then in between races, they aren't doing much at all, right? They're either injured, they're just exhausted and burned out from what they're trying to do. And what we want to look at here is how can we safely and consistently keep you running more weeks of the year overall? Because that's what really lends itself to growing as a runner and developing as a runner is being able to do it long term. If we enter, you know, a couple of races a year and so for half the year, we're training super, super hard. Then for the other half, we're not able to do anything. That doesn't lend itself to growth and to kind of building on those skills, building on those performance uh, capabilities or capacities over time. And so slower miles help you build up endurance and then help you adjust and get used to a higher volume of training. And then here we can avoid injuries, be more consistent overall, maybe even enjoy running a little bit more. You know, that would be great too. If running every run we did wasn't at our all out kind of hardest effort and, and just felt really hard. If we can slow down, we can kind of settle into that easier pace. It's amazing how much we can actually enjoy the process of training and, and maybe want to do it more. It also really helps to build our confidence in running for longer. And I think this too is where a lot of newer runners maybe get tripped up or, or maybe get really anxious and worried about uh, longer race events is that they just don't have a lot of confidence 
in how long a race is going to take them. They, they are so worried about how hard it's going to feel and how difficult it's going to be that that's their main fear. So they end up trying to do way too much training. They, they try to go way over the top in terms of their volume, especially with first time marathoners who, you know, want to do a full 26 miles in training. And unfortunately, you know, for anybody who's, there are some people, of course, who, who run fast enough that, that they could complete a, a 26 mile race in a fairly reasonable amount of time in terms of how many hours they would spend on their feet. But for a lot of us who aren't in, you know, maybe that like sub three marathon, uh, range, it's not realistic that we're going to be hitting a 26 mile long run in our training cycle, right? Again, the injury risk goes up significantly when we're spending more than three hours running at any given time, especially if we're trying to do that in conjunction with the rest of our overall training load. And so by, um, you know, slowing down, it can build our confidence and help us see that, oh yeah, you know what? I actually can maintain this pace for much longer than I expected. As long as I'm fueling and hydrating and, and using my electrolytes, then it's actually amazing how much running doesn't have to suck. It doesn't have to feel so uncomfortable or difficult the entire time. And so mentally, this can make running a lot more enjoyable and it can make our long runs and our long races feel far less scary. So for a lot of people, simply slowing down during our training, um, it can kind of be surprising how much we actually enjoy running and, and how much we can actually like uh, taking up and continuing with this sport. So as I've mentioned, there are a number of reasons why slower running is beneficial and why we really want to add in a lot more easy miles and slower running to our overall training plan. But then the next question is, how do we know what our easy pace is? especially if we're new to running, uh, if all running feels hard, which it always does in the beginning, or if we're used to running so fast that it feels really weird and really awkward to try and slow down. We don't know like how slow is slow. So overall, our easy running pace is going to be somewhere between 60 and 75% of our estimated maximum heart rate. And so there are a number of different ways that we can look at finding our maximum heart rate the age uh, calculations that you'll see, like for example, the 220 minus our age, they're not very accurate. There, there are a few different um, calculations out there that we can use. They're okay. Um, I think they give people a good, very rough starting point um, to see that, for example, if we've been running all of our miles and we're at 170 or 175 beats per minute consistently, then when we calculate what our age adjusted pace or age adjusted heart rate might be, maybe we find out that like that's somewhere in the 130s or, or even 140s. So, well, we don't want to get too caught up in the specific numbers that we're looking at there. It does kind of show us or, or demonstrate in a way that, yeah, you know what, this is this 175 or, or 180 is way too high. I need to slow it down. Even though the actual numbers there are maybe not super accurate. The other thing to keep in mind is that women, um, our heart rate may actually be a little bit higher than expected. Of course, a lot of these calculations and formulas, um, the research that went into them was mostly done on male subjects and, and on men historically. So there's often not a lot of data on women specifically. We've kind of been using a lot of these numbers and a lot of these things in, in sports science to kind of just translate to women, but that doesn't mean that they do translate that well. What I also find in practice is that for older athletes, if you are older and quite fit, 
then these may underestimate uh, what your um, heart rate would actually be. So of course, it's a starting point. It's a very rough guideline. There are other ways to look at your easy zone and, and kind of figure out where you might be. The most important one is by feel. So I do like to include some component of heart rate or, or kind of, um, you know, zone training with my clients, because I think it's good to sort of have multiple data points to look at. But also we want to remember that the most important thing is our easy pace is something that feels easy and often is called conversational pace. And so what that means specifically is that when you're running, you could be having a little bit of a conversation while you're running. So you could be running side by side with a friend, a running partner, and you could be talking and you're not completely out of breath, completely winded. You can actually carry on a conversation while you're running. That is where you find your easy running pace. So using that plus using some heart rate data that can kind of tell you approximately where you're at and it's going to change. So depending on what you're doing in the midst of your, your race cycle, your volume, how tired you are day to day, you know, there's lots of things that can impact what that easy zone will feel like or what that easy pace will feel like. So what we want to remember here is that our easy running pace is not a set specific pace, but it's a zone, it's a range, and it's going to be flexible. So we don't want to say, okay, my goal pace for this race is X. I know that my easy pace is supposed to be, you know, a couple of minutes slower per mile than my goal pace. Therefore, I am running all of my easy runs now at this pace, no matter what. That's not how we want to go about it. Instead, we want to be, you know, just going by feel a lot of times, just running easy, running what feels easy in our bodies. Uh, but I do sometimes like to have the heart rate uh, information to go along with it or, or a little bit of that pace information to go with it just for kind of tracking purposes to sort of see how things are going over time. Now, if you are finding you are not able to run really at any pace, like you're having a really hard time running at all without your heart rate getting quite elevated or without kind of getting out of that conversational zone to what we might call a more moderate zone where you're not able to speak maybe just like one or two words, but you're really huffing and puffing. You're working a lot harder. That's where walk run intervals can be so helpful. And so the key though, with the walk run intervals is that this is not a walk sprint, walk sprint. It is a slow run, slow, easy run with a walk break when you need it. And what I find for a lot of people is when they stop trying to sprint the run part and go too fast on the run part, they're actually really amazed and really impressed at how long they can run for when they're running slow and then just taking the walk breaks when they need. So you can do a walk run either by time, you know, you can do it by distance, or you could just go by feel and you can walk until you feel recovered your heart rate has kind of dropped back down. You can definitely pick up that conversation again, then you would go again. But again, we want to keep the running part still slow. We're not sprinting and then walking because then we can get into that same uh, kind of trap of now I'm trying to just cover as much ground as I can in that short period of time that I can run for. And we know that that doesn't get us anywhere. So you may feel silly, and I've been saying this for so many years with my new runners, is when you are running, I want you to run so slow that you feel silly. Like, I want you to feel 
um, ridiculous with how, how slow you're running. But the wonderful thing is that over time, you know, this easy pace will probably get a little bit faster over time as you get more trained, maybe not a ton faster and that's okay, but it's amazing how much time you can then spend running versus walking, how much that can build your confidence in yourself as a runner. So easy running is a key part of becoming a faster runner. We want to add in the speed work too. We definitely want to do that. And I think that there's lots of room to have another conversation about the speed work and the workouts that we can do as runners. But what I see out there in the running community is that not enough people are really maximizing their potential with the slower, easier paces. And so the adaptations that we get, right, the increased mitochondria and capillaries, being able to use fat as a fuel source more readily, mentally adjusting to running more comfortably for longer periods of time, mentally having more confidence in our ability as runners, slowing down is really such a great key to help you speed up. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. I hope that this gave you a little bit of motivation to look at the running that you've been doing, how much time you've been spending running fast versus running slow. If you've been struggling to kind of break through a certain amount of time or a certain distance that you just feel stuck at, to look at maybe slowing down as a huge factor in helping you push to that next level of your endurance capabilities. And as well, I also hope that, um, you know, this gave you a little bit of motivation to also not be afraid to use those walk-run intervals if you need to. They are such a great part of training, building up endurance, adding to time on your feet. And I think they're also a really underutilized tool for a lot of us. If you want more help this year with your training, your nutrition, kind of bringing together all of these pieces to improve your running performance, your body composition, to help you get faster and stronger as a runner, then I would love to help you out. I would love to be your running coach, your dietitian, and there are a number of different ways that you can work with me. The first is, of course, working with me one-on-one. -on -one. I do work with clients one-on-one -on -one for both nutrition coaching as well as run coaching or a combination of the two. Or you can check out my group program. It's called the Fuel Train Recover Club. And it's a great option for runners who want to learn all the components of better running, everything from what to eat and when, how to incorporate easy running. Uh, we've got sample meal plans. We have sample training plans. We have live group coaching calls here in the Fuel Train Recover Club. It is a wonderful way to not only get the information and the education that you need to really build your confidence in your running performance, but you also get to meet some great other runners too that are dealing with the same issues, dealing with the same struggles and uh, you know improve all together in a great supportive environment. You can learn more about the Fuel Train Recover Club by visiting my website. That's www.stephanienatchuk.com. My last name is H-N-A-T-I-U-K. And of course, you can find the link directly to my website in the show notes because I know that I have kind of a crazy last name that is a little bit difficult to spell and pronounce. So that's stephanienatchuk.com and you can check out working with me one-to-one -one, or I would love to have you join the Fuel Train Recover Club. All right, that is it for today's episode and I can't wait to chat with you in the next one. Bye for now.
The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used or relied upon for the diagnosis or treatment of any health condition. This information does not create a client-practitioner relationship and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice.